and welcome to the Dicer Screaming. We're back! Ah, ah. Oh, yeah, that's kind of what uh, some people were sounding like the other day. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, hey, how's everybody? And, uh, yeah, sorry we missed last week. Uh, just everybody was a little sick, and we just wanted to take precautions, make sure everybody was safe, so. Yeah, I didn't screw this one up this time. Oh, now, I'm not. I'm not dissing oh, anybody else. I'm oh. not dissing anybody else. But like 99.95 percent of the time that anything goes wrong, it is 100. You know, it, it's me. It. I am like totally self-accountable for for these calamitous happenstances. Uh, but it it's refreshing. Like, oh my gosh, this time it wasn't me. And I, I'm almost oh. not sure what to think about it, because it nearly never happens. It's almost implausible. Uh, well, with everything that's been going on, yeah. people got the snipples and hey, a hey. lot of things uh, losing caution, taste. Still worth it. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, uh, just a bout of the common blah has been going around this area, so... Yeah, rapid weather shifts. Sunny and beautiful. Uh, you know, one week freezing cold and, you know, just hellish... Sub-zero temperatures, and then all of a sudden, total radical reversal up into the 40s, sunny skies. Loving it. That topsy-turvy in Michigan, and I wouldn't trade it for anywhere else. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this is the most tumultuous time. Our, when spring is starting to approach and winter wants to maintain its icy grasp on these lower parts of Michigan, it is quite fascinating to watch how fast the weather can change i've literally watched it go from raining and thundering to snowing and blizzard in the same day <laughs> yeah yeah right after snow if you remember the day it rained that like it was just literally you know the temperature had gone up 20 odd degrees in one day and all of a sudden what would have been snowy precipitation was just a drizzle it's very strange to watch here I remember introducing someone from out of town to the notion of hot fog. Because uh, they were from San Francisco, where a chill fog rolls in off the ocean. You know, just the the misty, uh, you know, uh, vision-blocking uh, nonsense every morning. Every that morning Lovecraftian fog, yeah. And then to come all the way to Michigan and to encounter fog that only happens... When there's like a variation in heat between the ground and the precipitation. And, uh, you know, they were floored. They're like, how can this even be a thing? I've never heard of this. Welcome mm -hmm. to Michigan, bro. Michigumi. <laughs> cursed land. All right. Well, hey, uh, hope everybody's doing fine out there. Um, we're going to... We got a couple calls in from uh, Jason, still continuing the uh, Dark Knight thing. So uh, we're going to turn it over to Jason real quick, and we'll come right back at you. Oh, excellent. Hey, guys. Jason here. I meant to call you early in the week. I got sidetracked. I apologize. So now you get an alcohol-fueled call that might not be totally coherent. But we're on the same shoot. I think we're, we're good to go on Dark Knight, Frank Miller stuff. I wasn't trying to say it's better than The Watchmen by any means. And I can see where Watchmen has maybe got... Yeah, it's definitely grown in appreciation over the years. There's no question about it. And Dark Knight probably had more of an impact initially. I can buy that. And the Watchmen TV show is also wonderful because it, you know, obviously adult show, but it goes different from what the comics did, but still attacked important social issues and, and things. So I, so I think they're still doing great things with the Watchmen property, uh, unlike Dark Knight, which is now kind of degenerated, right? I mean, look at, well, look where Frank Miller went with All-Star Batman and Robin. The, the less said about that, the better. Um, 
But what I want to mention is, for some reason, I wanted to mention Warlord. I hope you mentioned Warlord, the DC comic character by Mike Grell. I don't totally remember why, because I'm off today and drinking. But I probably because maybe you're going to talk about Sword and Sorcery coming up. I don't know. Um, or post-apocalyptic or, or mashups or something. But whatever it is, I remember listening to your episode saying I had to call to make to mention Warlord. I think Warlord is a great comic The DC did by Mike Grell. You're probably familiar with it. If not, Google it. Wonderful. Um, if we're talking sword and sorcery stuff, obviously Conan and all that's great. Um, the Roy Thomas run of Conan and those early Savage Sword of Conans back in the day were wonderful. Great stuff. If we're talking post-apocalyptic, of course, Commandy, you, you know, is wonderful by Jack Kirby. Um, but yeah, for some reason I had in my head I'd need to call you about Warlord. So I don't really remember why, but hopefully you remember why. So talk to you later. Keep up the great work. And it's okay if we disagree because we're adults. So it's all good. Take care. Oh, all right. Hey, thanks, Jason. Yeah, still, um, yeah, I think we're always going to be friends no matter how we feel about uh, comic books or anything. And there's a difference of opinion. What really mattered uh, to us was that we just didn't want to talk about Frank Miller's Dark Knight because we were just covering the superhero groups and the transition of those comic books in those early days of the 80s to the later days of the uh, 85. And Watchmen seemed to encapsulate what we were talking about at the core. It, it is a good example. Uh, but, you know, yeah, there was a wave of change rolling through comics. I mean, and it actually... Started a bit before either. Oh of those. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, those are just a couple of <clears> the <throat> most uh, easily observed phenomena. They were two of the brightest stars in the night sky at that time, so they made good fodder for us to to make reference to something that was relevant to that time period and that was symbolic of what I think was a much more overall shift of emphasis. Mm. Uh, you know, those were just the two symbols. We picked, but, but but speaking of comics, you must have a. We must keep the mic on in between sessions because you picked up. We were talking about sword and sorcery comics. Yeah, exactly. Sword and sorcery comics is coming up, and we're going to talk not just about Warlord because yeah, that was a big one with us. We've yeah, you really nailed it, dude. That was it. it it's we were. <laughs> we're sifting through the the flower in the cupboard for like microphones and like nanites trying to figure out how you caught on to us because that is totally on the docket for discussion we love warlord yeah and that early run uh the first 50 issues probably uh one of the seminal of that genre give up uh right next to uh, roy thomas and uh Bishima's savage sort of conan run and also on that the there is a comic uh, by Roy Chaikin, which was called, or penned by Roy Chaikin, which was called Sword and Sorcery, which was Baffert and the Great Mouser, which we have a copy of. And we'll be discussing that and other Sword and Sorcery comics as well as, yeah, a good one uh, to pull in there Conan. is uh, Commandy, Last See, Boy on Earth. That's one I don't know. Okay. I, was I also up that. there with uh, Mad Monkey and Devil Dinosaur. I don't know that either. Well, Mad you Monkey. soon will. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Just imagine, it's the last day I can say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, not a shame Yeah, at all. but we'll be bringing those up, so uh, stay tuned for that, as well as uh, we're getting close to our 200th episode, which, you know, we did it again. We did another 100 episodes. Yeah, how did that happen? I don't know. I, well, I mean, 
You just keep doing something um, <laughs> long enough, and eventually something will happen. So I don't know what will happen. Hey, someday when we grow up, we won't be the gaming podcast that causes three die six and sonic damage. Uh, you know, we, we could hope someday to be better than that. Yeah. We can we do s- three die eight. <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm looking for an upgrade. We're leveling up. So, <clears throat> anyhow, uh, as we're working off here is. We have some topic for you today, I think, somewhere. So, this is a topic that's been brewing uh, for a while in the back burner. And I think we're just going to have a ramble. So, rant light is on, so you are warned. Yeah, this is this is not going to be the most scholarly pick-apart or any of the... It, we're, we're homaging the classic ramble where we just, you know, we're going to mull a subject and, you know, pick it apart and at our own pace, uh, get our thoughts out. All right. But it's a good one to do this with. Yeah, and what it basically comes from is playing at the world as immersion and role-playing. And, uh, of course, they talked about in the 70s. And uh, the idea of immersion is that you we've touched on in previous podcasts where we've specifically talked about uh, a group of people sitting around while the game master, referee, or DM, whatever, narrates a scene. And each one of the players has a vision in their mind. And each one's going to be subtly different or completely different, but they're all going to be seeing the same thing in their mind's eye, and they're completely in the moment, in character. And those are the magical moments. What magic moment? Misfits version, please. Um, Ah, much better. Hits, and you start to realize that, you know, this is a much bigger game than you thought it was. And also, with immersion comes the... Disimmersion or uh, immersion in the rules where you're playing the mechanics of the game. Absolute fidelity to the mechanics, adherence to the rules starts to distract you from immersion because you're not playing a role-playing game. You're playing a simulation at that point. And that was a big thing in the 70s. And again, we've touched on this briefly, but we've never delved into it. So now we're going to take a deep dive into immersion versus mechanics. Yeah, and I think it's a necessary dive. I, I like that it has been brought up in other venues and other mediums. Other people are asking these questions and putting some thought into their answers. And since seated here are two people who have both been player and DM uh, for decades, uh, you know, it is theoretically plausible <laughs> that clown shoes we though we may be True. Uh, we might actually have a couple of, of notions on this that would be worthy of examination yeah we're not trying to be super pretentious like oh we know so much yeah. and the <laughs> someday you uninitiated you uninitiated plebeians will know the secrets of the ancient ones <laughs> as we no 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 yeah we fumbled our way through it yeah Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, we have we have both gained and lost immersion at different times over the years, uh, but when we twigged to these discussions taking place, I mean, it struck a chord instantly because it does mean something to us. Uh, we've we've been in games where immersion was not really critical to our fullest possible enjoyment, but we've also been in games where the level of immersion was amazing. Uh, the degree to which we got into it, 
uh, and had like sort of an uninterrupted span of time where we were 100% focused on how do we react as characters? Uh, how would this character respond to this crisis? Not, okay, well, I need the six-sider or the eight-sider for this. You know, that, that was less of a monofocus. Um, or is this possible versus this? Uh, less or, yeah, the asking, fishing expedition. Can I do this? Well, I don't know. Can you? Yeah. Uh, if, <laughs> do you deign to try? I, I will inform you about the results. <laughs> but I'm not telling you in advance. I don't deal in theoreticals. I deal in questions. Okay. So I, I just asked, can I do it? All right. Well, uh, let's see. Roll the dice and find out. And uh, yeah, you can. No. Nope. Yep, that is not necessarily an immersion. That's uh, being faithful to the mechanics. And of course, in a game like Pathfinder, and I'm a big proponent of Pathfinder, is that there are a lot of mechanics that you have to know and um, to adjudicate combat and many of the other interactions with the environment, there's some mechanics that have to be addressed. But in addressing those mechanics, you can take yourself out of the immersion. And one of the big things of old school renaissance, the uh, OSR initially was, is, oh, we just made it up as we went along. Well, yeah, you did. And uh, I acknowledge that, but also it was in that early in those early days of playing role playing games, we didn't understand the rules completely, or what we thought we understood was misunderstood, and we had to re go back and understand them, or be taught retaught them and relearn them, whatever uh, at the appropriate moment was, and then you would have to reapply them again. Yeah, by way of clarification. Uh, it was a learning curve for everybody who started playing. And there was an understanding that, like, not no one at all, circa the end of the 70s, dawn of the 80s, um, there were almost no DMs who weren't somewhere in the middle of that learning yep. curve still making mistakes. And you know what? Everybody still had fun. So now, with that as an example, we can extrapolate from this that the fun was not necessarily connected to perfect rules understanding by either GM or players. The fun was happening independent of that. Right, and it's a, it's a precarious balance because too many rules and you're not role-playing or immersed because you're having to recall and know the rules and look them up at the certain, certain time and apply them appropriately. I am consulting Tome X for the eighth time this round. Ah, uh, you know, that, it wears a little thin. Yeah, you're more, and that goes back to the simulation type wargaming style that uh, they were talking about in Playing in the World. Which I, I find also appealing. Right. For that circumstance. But uh, in an RPG, or what we think of as a more RPG-based game, a slightly different approach is called for. Something to enhance the way in which people interact uh, as a player. Right. And there has to be a, a balance and also having the mystery of the outcome not being certain. Maybe the outcome being unknown and determined by the roll of a dice is, of course, a good way of keeping that uncertainty. But also, can I do something? That initial question. I, I do want to highlight that I'm not dissing 
the idea of new rules knowledge. Okay, that... Yeah, 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 let's make that... Having familiarity and basic competence with the system of a game is kind of a benchmark you want players to meet. You know, like to, to slowly build up a solid body of knowledge on how the game is played. Now, there's a difference between that and extensive rules knowledge. Uh, do all of your players need a lot of micro-knowledge? Like, oh yeah, I have literally memorized every table and chart in 11 volumes. You don't really need that. Uh, yeah, we've talked about in a previous podcast about how to utilize people with that knowledge. Yeah. And harness that They become like energy. DM deputies. Yep. Table captains, uh, rules look, rules um, aficionados that uh, are then able to be harnessed as <laughs> claimants impro- and litigants. Yep, as rules lawyers <laughs> often are utilized for ill and cross purposes. Like, hey, they asked that person instead of asking the DM. That's when you start to cross a little bit of a line. When, as the dungeon master isn't being consulted, but the uh, table captain or rules lawyer is. Before an action. Hey, it's fine to consult with an attorney before attempting to do something. <laughs> but uh, usually it's up. you're up to no good when you're doing that. Uh, yeah, and hopefully you've, you've got a good table captain relationship where the, the person is dispensing some very solid advice. Uh, <laughs> somebody comes to them uh, and says, All right, I'm wearing leather armor plus one. I'm jumping off of a cliff. It's 200 feet down. I'm level three. Uh. <laughs> and the floor is lava. Okay. Yeah, you're going to die. Yeah. Kiss that character goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, would you like me to just hand you a new character sheet? Or do you want to just stretch this out? Uh, that Having a good relationship with the people on the other side of the screen certainly helps. Uh, having experienced players who are willing to help foster the atmosphere of immersion to, you know, descriptively. Uh, if you have a couple of very experienced players, uh, letting them be living examples of how to undertake actions, how to uh, explain what their character is doing, thinking, or feeling, because the character is in many respects, not the player. Uh, you know, Vilius the Avaricious is not the same as your friend Steve, okay? That Vilius the Avaricious uh, may quibble over every copper piece that is split amongst the party. Uh, Steve, on the other hand, is the same dude. He was like, yeah, dude, I got the pizza this week. No problem. You know, drawing that line of difference so that at the time you play, you're playing someone who is unlike yourself. They make decisions a different way. And having players who really totally get that and letting them be the example to your fellow players is a huge bonus for a DM. Because it's, it's an awful lot of work to coax people along all by yourself. And making... Making do with the processes at the table, the various personalities. I mean, you've got, as a dungeon master, a heavy chore um, of just knowing not only the scenario you've crafted and crafting and knowing the scenario you made or are using, if it's 
uh, store-bought or off the internet from PDF. However it is that uh, you found yourself playing this game, you have to know those rules because you're the one who has to make the decision, but not so much the players. And that's a mantle that, uh, as a dungeon master, you have to wear. But how do you process that and use that? Well, a lot of ways is when you're introducing new people to the game. And, of course, this is a little less so because it kind of piggybacks, uh, less important as it piggybacks with our previous episode of starter sets. But you don't really need to teach the players or have them know the rules as you're going to teach it to them right then and there. And having that ability to have that teaching moment is an important relationship between the players and the dungeon masters because they're coming to the table not knowing the rules and so they're going to just do things they're going to want to explore the area they're going to look around and they're going to poke at things and as a dm you have to adjudicate that and be able to articulate how that these mechanics work things like armor class saving throws and all these crazy things you're starting to talk about become apparent especially with pre-made character sheets where they're just they pick a character that appeals to them and they're off to the races and you're playing a game that's very great but sometimes as uh, players mature they start to want to know more like how can i do this or what are all the processes involved in this and you know what are the odds and that's when you start to get into the nitty-gritty of mechanics. Yeah. Mechanics are terrific when they are not intruding in active dungeon or adventure play. Uh, I, for one, uh, really enjoy uh, the creativity of players when it comes to higher-level magics and uh, higher-level priests or priestesses trying to manufacture their own tools and implements in the form of magical items or creating things that are of benefit to the party. Uh, you do seem to see a lot of players push the boundaries of what can be created. Uh, what can I make? How magnificent can this be and what would it cost? Uh, later systems uh, like third edition, uh, you know, third edition and after, uh, D&D and, of course, Pathfinder. They're good examples of making the process of creation just the right amount of expensive and difficult that players will mm -hmm. target their efforts towards things that are of specific use to them rather than just willy-nilly creating anything under the sun. Uh, they balanced it particularly well in Pathfinder, by example. I, I feel that that was, on examination, one of the better systems of managing you know, the creation of things. But that is a True. process that takes players out of the dungeon. You know, they're in the city, they're thinking... True. And again, they are thinking of what can my player, or what can my character create? What, yeah, what, what can, can I do? do? Yeah. So that's good, but the mechanical process of crafting and building things, uh, you know, is, is not necessarily a holistic dungeon environment. No. Now, in the dungeon, you know, it's great to have both in a game. You really do want... Uh, these breaks where they, they get to get out of character for a moment and think like, okay, what do I want to do next at their leisure? But immersion, that that moment of, mm -hmm. you know, it's five of us and we are in a hole in the ground and the number of torches is running down. So we got X amount of time to get this done. Uh, 
and hopefully we crawl out of here with enough hit points to, you know, fight off anything that wants this pile of treasure we just got our paws on. That's a terrific sensation. Yeah, and going back, ripping off your, uh, before we started, we had a little uh, pre-session talk about this a little bit, where we wanted to start from. And uh, Mike hit the whole mantle thing. I kind of ripped off of that. That the DM has the mantle of having to know the rules. That's part of the job. When you put on the DM robes, part of the price of that is you got to know the rules. And the players, well, it's often assumed that they just have to show up and just be ready to play. But also, they have to have a persona. And that was the whole point of the immersion, is not only just to experience the game, but to be able to, as you talked about with, uh, what was his name, the Avaricious? Oh, Vilius the Avaricious. Vilius, all right. Well, yeah, Vilius the Avaricious is a persona. And having that persona and making decisions through that mask, if you will, or veil that you're wearing over your face, uh, allows you to make your actions different than that of Steve so you don't get punched in the face on the way out of the game. <laughs> Dude, you totally, you're a total jerk and you totally stole everything from my character. Jeez, thanks a lot. <laughs> well, it's just what I do, man, you know, but uh, hey, no, no, nothing personal, right? Oh, no, I think I'm... We, gonna... There were 11 hobgoblins on that parapet with short bows. All we asked for was a fireball, and you wouldn't, fire, you wouldn't even cast one until you had cash up front. I had to pay you in the middle of the battle, hungered behind a shield with eight arrows in me, before you would blast them. Just playing my character, man. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> so yeah, you know, yeah, you have to have that you totally you know, jerk wad, you totally screwed my character. Yeah, okay. So yeah, you want to have that kind of <coughs> disclaimer going on. You want to hide behind at least some veneer of like, hey, that's not me, it's my character sort of thing. But um, no, the DM not so have much to be so. such an awful example. Okay? But right, but living uh, a the more part... fair example would be uh, a character that has a morbid fear of spiders. And that is their one kryptonite. That is their moment where their character is like, oh no, I hate those. Uh, and you encounter giant spiders. And they go ahead and ham it up. Oh my gosh, this is the worst day ever. Spiders, why did it have to be spiders? Uh, you know, if they, they bring the character's attributes to the table, and they bring it with personality and thoughtfulness, Hey, it adds to the immersive factor. It is well worth the right. investment in time. And you know, having turn being able to turn rules knowledge into game power has been the moniker of many a rules lawyer or dice weasel in the past. <laughs> and games like Pathfinder that not only embraced it but fully encouraged people to take their knowledge of the rules and make and craft characters that they wanted to play. That's a good turn of the coin on that whole uh, aspect of power gaming. And I approve of it in a, a number of ways. It can, like I said, sometimes when the when you have uh, you utilize a person who has a great deal of rules knowledge and they start becoming the authority, though, that's when you have some problems as a DM. But uh, that's... Maybe a, a topic for another ch uh, session, but getting back on this, having the immersion in character. Now, what were you really talking about? Were you talking about the idea that 
a character that is totally immersed into the setting and background and has a number of ideas and maybe even background uh, characters like enemies or rivals or allies that will enter into the game. That's a change of from just simply experiencing a role-playing game from a second-hand or third party to going all the way in. Like uh, when I would say third party, I'd want to be talking about people like Critical Role experience things that another person is doing in a game with a character if you want to talk about the fourth wall. Yes. Uh, but specifically, when a player creates a character that has a lot of depth into the background of the campaign and brings that out, is that also not a form of immersion? And that's really something that you're try striving for. That's the ideal. You know what? Good idea, actually. That, that is kind of, I think, the ideal that one would aim for. Oh, okay. I mean, uh, that's that's where the end is. And I think that you can only remain in immersed in the game for so long. I mean, I was talking to some of my players, and they say it's about, sometimes it maybe uh, goes about... Uh, maybe 20, 10% of the time that they're actually that involved, that they can see in their mind's eye what's going on in almost like a uh, a movie unfolding or a good book. Yeah, during a particularly tough social encounter where a lot of direct interaction is called for or the classic dungeoneering thing, uh, you know, or any situation where they are obligated to take actions with their characters and they've really got to think about like what should I do what can I do uh, and what will be of use at this time and they start focusing their attention on what is my character seeing and they're listening to the DM's description and it's at that moment that they're peaking Mm. In level of immersion, okay? That's that's the, the key moment. And you cannot sustain that forever. You're absolutely correct. It cannot be, like, you're you're not going to have a six-hour session with six hours. Of peak of immersion, in, of okay. Peak immersion. It's never going to happen. Don't even try for it. It's almost ludicrous to put yourself through that kind of hell. Uh, if you think that, I failed. There were 45 minutes at the beginning and 30 minutes at the ending where nobody was really immersed. No. Uh, the balance is just to strive to have those moments of peak immersion during the course of the game. That, like at the, the high points, uh, at the conflict moments, uh, you know, maybe in, in the description of a particular scene or a conversation with an NPC, uh, having those moments of immersion where the players are interacting at a higher level, that's all, you know, like if you have achieved several of those moments during a game, you did it. That's all you really need. Uh, they can come out of immersion to accomplish other tasks, plan as a party, like have conversations, things like that, uh, while they're working on strategies and tactics. But you've really made your mark as a DM if in any session there were multiple moments of quality immersion in gameplay where they were thinking as their characters listening uh, and perceiving the world that you're describing as a dm uh, and they have those pictures in their heads they're the little yeah movie. they're receiving that through the lens of their character through their into their mind's eye exactly. yeah the movie is taking place in their head uh, and that 
wow, it is a priceless experience. It's something that, and I, I'm going to just go ahead and repeat myself from yeah. earlier episodes. I'm going to repeat my opinion that the magic of RPGs is that a group of people go into a room, sit down at a table, and when they leave, a story has been told, a book has been written, a movie has been shown, that only the people who were at that table at that time will ever know. It is absolutely unique. No one else will ever know exactly what took place like those Yeah, you can have somebody sitting there and like with critical role and observe that, and they might be party to it, but they will not have the exact experience of those people at that time. And because even if you were to write that book or make that movie, the people at the table like, no, 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 I I remember it a little differently, or they there's something that they will that seems to glow or shine a little bit more for them, and that's you know something that is like you said. Worth repeating, but we said it before. It is a magic moment by the Misfits. <laughs> Misfits version. Good yeah, on you. Oh, good on you. Yeah, it's never a good show without a punk reference. I know. Makes yeah, my day. But yeah, living the part in your character was a big thing back in the day. And I think uh, playing at the World uh, blog site, uh, they really hit it well. Uh, John Peterson is very uh, scholarly in his takedowns of these things and how he pulls out these topics. And I read it a while ago, and I was kind of moved because I was like, yeah, you know, that is a certain thing that you're always working for as a DM. And it's a moving target. And I think it's a balancing act between the mechanics. Like, Stormbringer RuneQuest have been my biggest moments in blow-by-blow combat. Where I And, to again, the 3rd edition champions, uh, where I'm almost seeing a comic book being drawn in my mind with each phase of combat and with Stormbringer I remember a lot of the uh, parrying and dodging and back and forth and there wasn't many hit points going back and forth and it didn't seem like you know anybody was really doing damage but everybody was so nervous one (laughs) failed die roll and yeah you're gonna get hurt real bad and (laughs) yeah yeah uh, your character is uh like, uh, you know, Ultraman has been snatched up by the ankle and wailed <laughs> against a lamppost again and again. And again wang, wang. Oh, did somebody get the number of that truck? Oh. <laughs> yeah, where the dice roll and what's happening at the combat is almost a narrative on its own. That's where the mechanics are singing. And sometimes in Pathfinder, I notice too that when players, when it's like the last few hit points, or they're facing a really dangerous monster. Sweat drop. Yeah. Like, oh, man, I hope it doesn't hit me. And, oh, you know, trying to calculate everything so they don't get hit. That's an important thing. And so, yeah, the rules are working as intended. That is the the purpose of rules. And the players knowing them helps make it more possible. But I would also want to put it forth like this, that you have... A responsibility is the DM to not only just teach in players and make the game, but also help immerse them and look for those moments when they're, to use a term, I guess, maybe we'll coin it now. Let's just call it what it is, peaking. Yeah. Uh, when they're, when they, you notice that happening, notice what you did. 
take note of that and, you know, kind of store it up or maybe just, I guess, write it down as some of the cues that you used and some of the methods that brung this about. Yeah. What were the, you know, how strong was the descriptive text that you were using at the time? Uh, what was the nature of the encounter at that moment that you noticed people like getting into peak immersion mode? Watch those signals. Uh, that it's reading the room, basically. You're learning, you know, what's the happy button for these players? What's the thing that made like five people or six yeah, people and at this table go, what's happening next? You know, it that. could be very subjective and different from group to group and player to player. That's what makes it the moving target you mentioned, right. which was it's a good like, term. It's a good term because, I mean, it's true. It's a moving target. You've got multiple people at a table, uh, each with, you know, slightly varying interests that may not be enamored of the same kind of scenario. So watching for things that they have in common gives you a terrific window into how to like really get a table rocking some night. Right, and sometimes when the dice are invisible or behind the screen, that's where immersion can also occur. And also knowing sometimes when to back off on being super specific on the rules and just letting things happen as the players, especially when the players are absolutely involved. Stopping play to enforce rules adherence can be jarring and it can ruin it. I'm not saying it, it can't. If you have the right type of group and the right type of people or you take the right type of approach, one of those things. Fair enough. You can keep that immersion going, but sometimes just sometimes just behind the screen, just roll the dice and just adjudicate as you so see fit. Yeah, and I'm not a big fan of dice fudging in the general sense, but as I have said before, uh, the exception to that would be uh, if a mere dice roll is going to massively disrupt play. Uh, like, you know, you have fallen on a broken rake handle and impaled your own neck. Uh, and, wow, you know, you better, better hope they've got enough uh, cash together for a resurrection. No, okay, I, I'm not okay with that going out. I'm, I like my PC deaths to be in extreme dramatic circumstances, not over ridiculous pratfalls. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Three Stooges is the role-playing game. You know, I, I don't mind botching, uh, like having people wind up botching a sneak roll and getting chased out of a dungeon. Sure. I'm 100% okay with 90 plus percent of circumstances, but oh, I'll like fudge the, a roll. Like that rogue that uh, rolled a 43 sneaking into a troll's lair only to discover that scent ability trumps invisibility. And yes. yes, they may not be able to 100% see, but they can definitely detect the presence of the character. And so running back as fast as they could to the party was their very next action. So that those <laughs> moments, again, that's applying the rules without any real dice rolling. But, you know, some players also want that control. They want to roll the dice. They want to see what's happening. They want to have that effect. Maybe I'm more keen to that, but lately I've been shifting a little bit. And noticing things when I was... Um, playing uh, Stormbringer all those years ago, all the tense uh, fights of parrying, uh, attacking, and dodging, and armor deflection. Man, that, uh, there was some teeth gritting at those uh, sessions, as well as the Warhammer. Yes, you did have to be careful in old Stormbringer. 
Uh, that that could be a monumentally fatal game. Well, just yeah, like and it's a you know um, parent game, uh, RuneQuest, and of course, brutally efficient as it is, it would only make sense to make Call of Cthulhu the same system. <laughs> yeah, they were thinking, weren't they? Hey, but anyway, no, yeah. So, no. <laughs> I mean. I think that we can walk around the subject a number of times, but uh, we end up repeating ourselves. I think the thing is, is immersion is going to be different for everybody. And some people like to have that moment where they're right in there with the narrative mechanics and they're making their own immersion out of the using the mechanics correctly. That can happen too. And taking recognition of both sides is an important part. And it's a balancing act. You're never as a DM going to hit it. 100% of the time. And I think if you are hitting it 100% of the time, I think you're in the wrong profession. I think there's some uh, uh, jobs at the CIA that are open for you. Oh, well, I, you know, you've got amazing talent. I mean, if you're nailing it 100%. Uh, yeah. You know, have, you, have you tried Major League Baseball? Because batting 1,000 is like worth your weight in gold there. Uh, I have personally never achieved anything near that uh, it's a good 50-50 hit or miss most of the time. But, hey, you know, an average of about 500 is considered pretty good in baseball. <laughs> well, right. And, you know, one of the things that Dungeons & Dragons and other role-playing games have is they give you a starter point of what you're playing. And that starts everybody's imaginations working. And if it's not, you know, if people just aren't into it or they're into the mechanics... Maybe that's not the right fit for you as a group or as a game master. Oh, perhaps not. But, uh, you know, you find what works for you. And, uh, of course, like we said, I, I don't know what a better description is. Like, pour it in a bottle and save it. Just make a note of it because you can use that again and again. And, you know, immersion and narrative is the real magic of the role-playing game. I don't think that uh, there's any other form of entertainment and just places like uh, the folks at Critical Role have shown, it can be shared outside of that gaming table. It can now, thanks to the uh, yeah. the surge in social media and the ability for like small groups of people. Streaming to, services like Twitch and uh, yeah, on YouTube. Yeah, being able to have a small group of people do a personal thing and then upload it easily and conveniently. I mean, to, to have it stream live uh, online that's something incredibly dynamic that just the last couple decades have seen like go from infancy to full fledged. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I'd say in the last five years. Yeah. That, you know, the, the protean beginnings of it uh, date back a bit, but yeah, the, the real meat and potatoes, the, the rise of it as a powerful medium and kind of a, a new, I honestly, you know, the, the day is coming where, you know, the, the things that people make themselves may very well be more popular than the shows on cable TV. And with good reason. Uh, pay attention, Hollywood. That's how much you suck. <laughs> well, you know, the Dungeons & Dragons movies is coming out. and uh, We're boy. all praying. Oh, well, yeah, the last one, boy. Mm. We're still hurt. We may dedicate... Like, I honestly think we should put ourselves through it and dedicate an episode to doing a pick-apart of that. I mean, oh, just a, an almost MSTK 3000, you know, shredder oh. of, like, just vent all of our hatred. Uh, and get, all it right. out, get it out of our system. Like, open the wound, let the, the, the pus out of this festering 
wound we have carried much of our adult lives and just get it out. Purge the wound, huh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then it's going to take a lot of booze. Um, then the healing can begin. <laughs> Drain the abscess, as it were. All right. Well, okay. Here. Th- we'll uh, top we'll, off that boil. We'll definitely uh, we'll plan a date for it, and uh, we'll write it down because uh, that was, yeah, I oh, think I had to be a little bit drunk for that one. But uh, I don't know how you could do a mo- blow by blow on that one. That movie is just awful. Well, and the the ramifications thereof. I mean, you know that that's almost a topic in itself. That I mean, you want to see the. <laughs> Uh, it could be fairly argued that this was the single movie that nearly killed the ability of fantasy movies to uh, have a marketable oh, audience. Oh, my friend, you how how much you focus on that? That's over focusing. Yeah. Lord of the Rings came out, so well, same, yeah, yeah, sometime later and redeemed well, the, the whole year, concept. Ninety nine. Oh my God, was it really yeah. that? Well, I guess yeah, that's one we did see in theaters. You know, so Lord <laughs> of the Rings. I mean, it it the trilogy itself uh each one was an event and it was a magnificent uh, event to witness as well paced yeah but, uh, you know that mm. that sense of immersion that you get from a really quality movie uh, here's a perfect example is that you know that we went and saw lord of the rings and the level of immersion as we watched like even just as passive participants uh, man, I, you couldn't, you couldn't have dragged us out of our seats. You know, it came out of there limping with like a bladder that was holding most of Lake Michigan. And just like, I couldn't leave for even one second. Too awesome. And by counterexample, the D&D movie was, yeah, I might as well go ahead and hit the can now. Cause, uh, I, I'm pretty sure I could piss a better movie than this. Uh, <laughs> zero immersion. Too busy feeling nothing but loathing and hatred and shame. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this is a movie that just deserves to come with a free pause button uh, for every person in the theater. You can all just hit pause at the same time and go, never mind. <laughs> sure, I, but, I definitely... But that's uh, the value of immersion. That's what we're talking about Oh, yeah, I, the, I think that... What a uh, difference it makes in the experience people's have. Holding your bladder as a... <laughs> all right, analogy. I, I'm, I'm down, all right? Yeah, yeah. I, look, I mean, if you don't want to leave the table and you're, like, just on the edge of, like, having a rupture of some kind, you're like, ah, yeah, please, we can't pause the action. This is too great. I think that goes That's along good... with the the comparison to drag queens to dungeon masters. Okay. <laughs> if I hit another, uh, if I hit another interesting. Yeah, another micism is that uh, you know your bladder retention, <coughs> the ability to hold in your uh, bladder, dictates the amount of fun you're having at the moment. Sure, I'm willing to go with that. That's a good micism. <laughs> Ah. It's a measure of how much fun you're having when you don't want to pee. Okay. <laughs> if you're willing to... I'm I'm willing to let my back teeth float <laughs> if I get to finish this encounter first. So. <laughs> uh, iron bladder. Uh, we've iron. done it again. Iron bladder the dwarf to the rescue. Exactly. <laughs> He's here for fun and immersion. All right. 
Well, uh, all right. So, yeah, that will we'll wrap it up for us. And uh, on that note, I think it's good for us to just leave uh, quietly. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the fire alarm and sneak out the back door. Yeah, we need to get out of here. <laughs> so, again, if you enjoyed our podcast, uh, consider supporting us. Uh, again, we're not asking for any great deal of money. Hey, uh, we appreciate all our supporters out there, and we try to listen. We're going to be doing um, a few things to help those folks out. Uh, as if your ideas aren't helping up alone. Yeah, giving us uh, some money is, man, that's just downright pleasant. And Man, I'm deeply touched. So thanks a lot to all our supporters. Also very excited. Uh, we, we've got some interesting topics coming up. Not going to say exactly when. Yeah, the D&D movie aside, loose, yeah, we will do that. Loose. We have some other interesting topics coming up, partly because people have offered us some inspiration, uh, and we took a look at it and went, yeah, okay, that should totally be a thing. We do. So, yeah, yeah. it's coming. There's there's some stuff. So we appreciate all the uh, great ideas and support you folks give because, you know, besides just money, just, you know, the fact that you like us. You you, you really, really like us. us. And that that means a lot, we man. got it in stereo. I know. <laughs> and so just keep it up, folks. We appreciate it. So thank you. And... Uh, with that, of course, if you can uh, download the Anchor app or whatever it is, take our uh, podcast, take out that uh, like and follow button and uh, slowly walk up to it and just uh, massage its shoulders gently and uh, then say, I've just maxed out your credit card. Because <laughs> that's just what it needs to hear. And yeah, I'm going to keep using that one because it's creepy AF. And uh, <laughs> I always love the stuff like that. So anyway... Just maxed out your credit card. <laughs> things, things that will. <laughs> you want to hear me scream? <laughs> oh, uh, knows how to really hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> Take uh, it out to a dinner, then like order the lobster, and leave out the side door. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do. That poor so that you can get informed when life. we uh, leave other. <laughs> When we get uh, put new episodes out there, so you can get a notification that uh, we just did it again and uh, hide from it. But nonetheless, uh, keep up uh, the support, folks. We really appreciate that. And of course, like and follow us on uh, Facebook. We've got a Dicey Screen page there. And of course, you can get all of us on Twitter and all the normal places that Twitter allows interaction. All right. All right. But until next time, may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.